I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of your pastors here, and we're in this series titled Peter, the Unlikely Disciple. Peter was one of uh, Jesus' three core disciples, and he often spoke and, and uh, acted on behalf of all the other disciples. Jesus had predicted that uh, Peter would be the rock on whom he would build his church. Peter would someday lead the church in Jerusalem. Yet as strong as Peter was, he often struggled to follow Jesus well. That's why I love him. He's very imperfect, much like me. In fact, sometimes he failed in huge and embarrassing ways. And today we're going to talk about one of the lowest points in Peter's life that he experienced following Jesus Christ. To make this event even more painful, Peter should have seen it coming. It's Monday, Thursday night. Jesus has called his disciples to come together to do a strange thing, to celebrate the Passover a day early. They're meeting in the upper room. Jesus has washed their feet. Jesus led them in the first celebration of the Lord's Supper of Holy Communion. And he talks to them about how they should serve others and how they would uh, someday be in God's kingdom with him and be in mission together. And then Jesus drops a bomb on Peter. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Sift like wheat? Satan has asked to tear you apart? If I were Peter, I would have been saying, you said what? <laughs> Jesus, I'm looking for an answer, and I want the answer to be no, no, you may not sift me like wheat. But seriously, just look at the book of Job. And we see that Satan needs God's permission to bring all kinds of difficulties on Job and on some people to help shipwreck their faith. We have to remember what the book of James says, though, that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, and it makes us stronger. And the image of sifting wheat implies that we're going, uh, uh, there's a sorting going on of what's legit and what's not legit. In those days, they would separate the good, heavy kernels of wheat from the lightweight, useless chaff, like in this, this video here. The chaff would blow away, but what remains that needs to be remained in and what's good falls to the ground. And we're going to see how strong Peter's faith is in this ultimate moment of pain. There's <laughs> a little puppy there. Luke 22, 32 through 34. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you know me. We have a real enemy. It's not a joke. Jesus believed that Satan is real. And we should too. Jesus is more powerful than Satan, though. We serve Him. We serve the Lord Jesus. We can be tempted by Satan. 
He comes at us with temptations, with accusations. You're a failure. You can never change. You're worthless. You should take your own life. Father of lies. Don't believe them. His lies will try to destroy you. We know we can have victory over the enemy because of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, Remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He'll keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Remember what we said before? This doesn't mean God causes all the bad things in your life. It means that He limits the amount of temptation to sin. That's what the context is, the temptation is, uh, to sin, so we can always say no. What an amazing promise. The next time you're tempted by sin, remember that. You can always say no. <laughs> Now let's get to the heart of it. One of these rare disciple moments that's told in all the four Gospels about what happened to Peter here. It tells us how important it is. Let's look at this together, Luke 22. 54 through 62. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he's speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned. And looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Have you been there? Yep. Every single Christian has been there. Even faithful people fail Jesus sometimes. I remember I was a waiter at the Omni Netherlands, which is now the Hilton downtown. And I was, uh, I had been there a couple years and I waited on tables down in the Palm Court. There was a new guy that showed up and, and uh, he pulled me aside one day during work. And he said, are you one of those Christians pointing to me like that? Those Christian kind of condescending? And I remember I gulped and I paused And I said, yes. <laughs> And he says, I am too. <laughs> he got me. But I had that moment where I almost failed. <laughs> Think about it. Peter would soon be the highest spiritual authority on earth after Jesus ascended into heaven. Yet he failed Jesus in Jesus' most desperate moment. Jesus is in chains, getting ready to give his life for Peter's sin. What does Peter do? He caves to the pressure from three random strangers. One of them, a young servant girl, probably a junior hire. 
No authority, no power. Peter's a grown man. She accuses him of being a follower of Jesus. That's not illegal. He might have been called to testify, but he hadn't done anything illegal. Peter's not facing any real harm here, yet he denies it before a young girl. Come on, Peter. (laughs) Jesus even told you that this was going to happen. It's like you're going to take a test in school, and you're with your friends, and you know the smartest kid in school who just took the same test an hour before you, and on your way to take the test, she stops you in the hallway and says, hey, number 10 is a tricky one. You think it's going to be false, but it's actually, it's really true. So you come to question 10, and you read it, and sure enough, it seems false. It seems like one of the falsiest false questions that you could ever heard in your life. And you click false. You finish the test, and then you submit it. And you fail that one answer. And what question is it? It's number 10. What's wrong with you, Peter? Don't you trust Jesus? Don't you believe in him? You know, it's so easy for us to beat up Peter until you think back to maybe your life last week when you did the same thing, denied him. Maybe somebody's mistreating another person who... Jesus loves, by which, by the way, everybody loves, is loved by Jesus. And you say nothing. You could have stood up for them. Or somebody else is going through grief, and you don't offer to pray for them, but you're getting that nudge, but you say no. You know, you think and say, maybe I don't want to cram my faith down anyone's throat. But you aren't doing that. Sometimes we're more concerned about how others see us than for speaking up for Jesus. Friends, you can talk about faith in a way that's not cramming it down someone's throat. Don't be a, be a jerk, but it's our job to share Jesus with others. He literally put us there for that reason to not deny. But Peter fails and he denies Jesus. Let me read that again to you, Luke twenty two sixty. 60. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned to him and looked straight at him. And before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he remembers those words. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Imagine what that look from Jesus must have felt to Peter. Peter, a grown man, he runs, he weeps. What have I done? Do you know what that's like? You say something and it just destroys the person in front of you. And you can't take it back. You can't. Or you sin, you do that thing you said you never would do and never do again. And you feel that sickness inside, that pain, that that just dirt feeling. You know, I used to read what Jesus said in Luke 22, 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I've read this and wondered, did Jesus' prayer fail? I mean, spoiler alert, Jesus, or Peter's going to deny Jesus. So his faith failed, right? Also, since Jesus obviously knew that Peter was going to deny him, why did Jesus bother praying that Peter's faith wouldn't fail? He knew it was going to fail, right? Well, not exactly. If you look at the original language, the word for fail in that verse is the same word that's used when a person's money runs out. Jesus knows that Peter will be challenged and spent, but he's praying that Peter's faith won't totally be bankrupt by what is to come. 
Jesus, in his perfect foreknowledge, knows what Peter will do. That doesn't mean that, that Jesus caused it. Knowing something will happen doesn't mean that you cause it to happen. It's like when you're watching a movie and you know it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that you caused it to happen. Peter has free will and, and Jesus knows he's going to stumble, my friends. So Jesus prays that Peter's faith will be strong enough not to be bankrupted by his own failures. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Timothy writes, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. It's Jesus' faithfulness that keeps the relationship intact with Peter, with us. Peter lies, he, he sins, he should go to the cross. But no, it's not Peter who goes to the cross, it's Jesus. The whip, the crown of thorns, the nails, uh, those should all be for Peter, for you, for me. But no, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, takes our sin, your sin, Peter's sin, and goes to the cross. And when we're faithless, he's still faithful. And Peter fails Jesus, but Jesus doesn't fail Peter. I fail Jesus, but Jesus doesn't fail me. And that's some serious good news, my friends, for you this day. That's why we call it the gospel, the good news about what Jesus does. We all fail, but God never fails us. Maybe you fail God so many times and you're wondering if God will take you back another time. You may have been unfaithful to God, but God is still faithful to you. It's not about your merits or lack thereof, it's about God's. If God gives up on people when they're faithless, then Peter is done. <laughs> Game over. I thought you were the rock, the foundation on which I'm going to build my church, but instead I learned that you're no rock. You're a foundation of sloppy mud. You're fired. <laughs> Jesus in his most desperate hour, and Peter literally abandons him. And it doesn't get much worse than that. So how does Jesus respond in light of all of this? You know, Jesus didn't get a chance to respond that day because Peter ran away. Jesus got arrested, beaten, and crucified. But Jesus wasn't done with Peter. After Jesus died, Peter went back to fishing. He had the worst night ever. He caught no fish. Well, there's one other time that it happened. Do you remember? The day that Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, to be a fisher of men. What a ridiculous coincidence, right? And then there's this random guy who shows up on the shore and says, Hey, boys, have you caught any fish? And Peter's like, No, thanks for asking, you jerk. Well, he says, This guy says from the shoreline, Why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? Yeah, that'll help out. Whatever. But then, boom, massive catch of fish. And they're pulling them in. And Peter's like, oh my God, literally, that is my God. Standing right there. He jumps in, swims to the shore, and Jesus is cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire. The same kind of fire where Jesus, or Peter denied he knew Jesus. And look at what happens after breakfast. John 21, 15 through 19. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. 
Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third, the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The truth is, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, you're a failure, you're a wuss, you denied me, although it was true. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, you're a liar, although that was true. He asks if Peter loves him. It's a love relationship that Jesus has with Peter. He asks Peter if he loves him. Why? You know, sin doesn't just break God's law, it, it, it breaks God's heart. You're sinning against a God who loves you and treasures you. And knows everything about you. Knows the whole story completely. And Jesus restores Peter three times. Obliterates the three denials. And all is forgiven. Peter has denied Jesus three times. But Jesus affirms Peter three times. And and then he predicts what kind of sacrificial death Peter will die. Then Jesus calls Peter once again with the same words that he spoke three years earlier. Follow me. When we're unfaithful, God is faithful, my friends. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. And Jesus uses relentless pursuit of us at whatever sacrificial cost it requires of Jesus. Do you know how Peter died? Church tradition tells us that he was arrested and chained up, and they brought him in with one challenge, and that was to deny Jesus. Tell us that Caesar is Lord. Offer him a sacrifice and then you can go free. After all, Peter, you denied uh, Jesus before. You can do it again. Just deny Jesus is Lord and you can be set free. No sacrifice. Easy life, Peter. Peter has another chance to lie and to sin again, but not this time. History tells us that Peter said, Then crucify me, but I'm not worthy to die like he did. Crucify me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to die like Jesus did. My friends, we need to be reminded that we're not defined by our failures. God does not define us by the worst thing we have ever done. Jesus makes amazing use of flawed disciples. He continually invites us back, forgives us, restores us, and keeps on giving us a job to do. And like Peter, sometimes he uses us more profoundly... Not in spite of our flaws and failures, but because of them. Jesus is the Lord of second chances. If the disciple who denied even knowing Jesus could become a rock on which the church would be built, there's hope for us, too. Peter wasn't afraid to talk about his shortcomings as a way to help others learn and grow and find grace. Almost 60 years ago, 
There were marchers that moved from the safety of their homes and churches, and they marched in Selma, Alabama, for a belief that all God's children are created equal regardless of color of their skin, and thus they should be given the right to vote. They marched peacefully, facing tear gas and batons and dogs and guns, but not putting up resistance. Among them was a man named Reverend James Reeb. He was a 38-year-old white pastor from Massachusetts. James had little to gain personally by taking this risk, but he felt God calling him to move from safety to sacrifice. So he left his home, his wife, his four children, and he traveled to Selma, Alabama to march. And as he left an Alabama restaurant one night, he was attacked by four white men with clubs. They beat him so badly that he died two days later. Three of the killers would be acquitted by an all-white jury. The other man had fled to Mississippi and was never returned to the state for trial. Yet Reeb did not die in vain. His death caught the attention of the national media of President Lyndon Johnson, who called the widow to console her. And the president soon brought forth the Voting Rights Act to Congress. You see, God works through us. And we have the courage to be faithful to Him even when it's tough. We'll see what God does through Peter in the coming weeks. And it's powerful. It's mind-blowing. He does that despite the flaws. We'll see the boldness and wisdom that comes from this unlikely disciple, my friends. And we'll see him stand up for Jesus in immovable ways. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for how you, you utilize us despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings, despite, despite our denials. You still choose to restore and to channel your ministry through us. God, we pray that we would grab up your courage that comes from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is faithful and that is life-changing in this world. God, we thank you for, for Peter and his story that helps and intersects with our story. We thank you that that restoration that, that we find, just as he did, God can just cause amazing, amazing, wonderful acts done in your name. We thank you for the ministry of Anderson Hills. I thank you for the ministry of each person here. And may we walk in boldness, showing others your gospel ministry, speaking love and truth and wisdom in this life and to those around us. We love you and we thank you for that restoration. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.